All right, so let's get started really quick. Uh, welcome everybody to the Haunted Hacker podcast, episode 24, I believe. Um, just keeps, time keeps moving. Um, tonight we have Kim Kennedy um, online with us live. Hi, Kim, how are you? I'm doing well, can you hear me? Okay. Absolutely, great, great. Um, so yeah, Thank a little- you for having me on. Absolutely, we appreciate you being here. It's, uh, it's pretty laid back. We have a lot of fun uh, talking about world events and stuff and computer hacking and cybersecurity and all that good stuff. Um, so let's go over a little bit of housekeeping before we get started and a quick shot at the news. Um, housekeeping, I'm going to go ahead and switch over the chat to where it'll only come to me during the session. So if you have questions, put it in the chat box, it'll come to me. Um, we had a couple of people um, record tonight because my connection is crap, it seems like, for the past couple of weeks. Uh, so our last episode that we had, um, I was supposed to upload it to TechStrong TV, and it was only 20 minutes long because of a outage that put us offline. Um, so hopefully having a couple of people record will help uh, soften that blow a little bit. Uh, so news. Um, really, the only thing that stands out today in the news was that the Fin7 threat actor, Fadir Halader, um, got arrested uh, and is doing a 10-year prison sentence. He was part of the Fin7 um, group. So they're uh, responsible for compromising thousands of credit cards, stealing a bunch of money. Um, really uh, prolific, but they were shut down, uh, according to the news. Um, anyways, so let's get started. Uh, like I said, it's really laid back. Feel free to ask questions to people in the chat during the conversation, and I'll make sure it gets to Kim. Um, I believe Ryan is online with us as well. Ryan, are you still there? His, his, his video is not working very well. My audio is kind of <laughs> lagging, so we'll have to uh, play this by ear. Um, anyway, so Kim, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey through cybersecurity and, and your career. So I'm actually relatively new to the cybersecurity field. Uh, I've been in uh, kind of IT and more on a different side of things. Uh, I changed careers a few years ago. Um, one of the reasons uh, that kind of brought me into to cyber besides I know, I, tend to hang out with programmers, people in security. Um, and uh, just over the years, I've always been kind of a point person for smaller businesses. Uh, and then I, I went into an IT shop. I was actually in accounting. I ended up uh, helping out and taking over their asset uh, management renewals um, and kind of streamlining that for them. And then I wanted, I wanted more. And so I kind of switched over um, I know that a lot of the topics today um, and a lot of podcasts tend to be around like, how do you break into cybersecurity? And it is, it's a very interesting and hard thing to do um, if you don't have a military background and some other things. And even then, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, and so over the years, uh, my last job was at Attack IQ um, and they've done an amazing um an amazing thing by opening up an Attack IQ Academy that kind of helps um, give people all kind of a better insight to some of these things on the more of the 
purple teaming, you know, kind of it's we're at a time where we kind of need everybody to know a little bit about everything, but you definitely have a niche uh, niche for that. So um, currently I am looking for work, but I also am kind of starting some side projects that aren't cybersecurity related as well. Um, I, I just, I have, I want to work for a place that I believe in. I believed in Attack IQ and um, I have a, a, a love for them uh, and always will, but uh, I, I, I'm on to the next chapter and kind of see, see what things, where things lead. And that's, that's a, a good position to be in, actually. I've spent um, a couple of years in that position, uh, kind of floating around and, and doing some public speaking and stuff. Um, so what was your life like before you decided to make that turn into cybersecurity? I mean, what, what kind of things were you, were you doing, like, as career-wise, or, or was it just, uh, yeah, fill me in about it. Tell me about it. So... I actually was doing accounting and HR. Um, I started off with doing, uh, you know, back when I was 18, I realized I did not want to have a, you know, minimum wage job for the rest of my life. I knew when I was 50, I did not want to stand on my feet. I, I think most of us kind of agree with that. Like, um, and so I did whatever it took. I, I've had multiple jobs. I've worked pretty much every type of job I can think of. Um, but with accounting, it's a wonderful thing, right? Like, so it's easy in the fact of like A plus B equals C. Yay. That's not real life in most jobs. Uh, the, the downside to that is I get bored very quickly. Um, so usually, you know, I'd, I'd go in and, uh, you know, figure out people's, you know, business models. And the one thing that's great about accounting that is interesting is you can take that model and go to a different company. You need to learn it inside and out to really understand, hey, am I missing billing? Or is, is there any way we can be more efficient? Um, is there a better way to handle these things? Um, and so with that being said, um, I used to get bored. So I am OSHA 30 certified. I used to work in construction a lot. I speak Spanish now. Wow. I, um, I inkjet press, I drive truck, like I can drive it. I almost got my CDL, but I didn't, um, just because I'm like, Hey, I did all of that. Like now what? So, um, and I've worked for, uh, very large corporations that we did the accounting for five different factories. And so, uh, it's, it's interesting because you get to learn so much about, uh, how things are run. Um, most people in accounting, I don't think go to that extent. They just kind of like, Oh, we'll do an invoice here and there. And I'm like, no, I need to know it. Um, and by doing so, that's why I've ended up with all these extra skills. So, um, when my last job before I took the career change was at the MSP, um, where I worked for several years, had they been able to take in a lower entry level, um, I would have been happy to have taken that, but they weren't at that um, spot. Uh, so I went on into uh, their asset management kind of, like I said, kind of helped with getting that like streamlined a little bit better. Um, I just love the people that we work, that I work with um, when it comes to trying to get the general public um, and raise awareness. I've really, part of it is I'm a learner, but I'm also, I love to teach. Um, and so as part of what I do um, before I switched over, I kind of started realizing that about myself. And so um, I wanted to get more visibility into like the cybersecurity community. There's a huge need for people, although I don't think it's as big as we say it is. 
Um, I think there just needs to be a um, potentially a different outlook of how we hire people um, mm -hmm. in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so one of the, the things that I sound like a broken record when I talk about this, but you know, when a company has, you know, a, a mid-level person and they move on, uh, instead of going out to the internet and putting out a job requirement for a mid-level analyst, you know, why don't these companies actually open up some entry level, some true entry level positions, not entry level that, you know, requires five years experience, but, you know, like true entry level. Um, those are very yep. hard to come by. And I, I know, I know that frustration. Um, I can't count how many times I've been told either you're overqualified or most people just won't touch me at all. So at, at least you, at least you have that background where, you know, you can walk into a business and, and apply and, and feel somewhat confident. I have to kind of, it feels awkward walking into a place and asking for a job because I'm waiting for them to pull up my rap sheet. Uh, but um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's similarities there, right? So before I got into security, I've done a lot of stuff. I was in the military. I've, I've been a professional boxer. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but I think that's helped in a way because really cybersecurity is not like a, a blinders on type of um, career or, or environment. Um, you have to be able to put on different hats and move to different positions and be able to you know, pick up where you left off or where that other person left off. And people who don't have the background that we have, like the various jobs and, and that, that big portfolio, it's hard for them to navigate from one position to the next within a company, like responsibility wise, because they're, they're, they've got blinders on. And that's what I tell people coming in the industry is if you want to do defense, if you want to do cybersecurity, learn offense too. Um, and I think that's, part of the thing that we fail at as an industry is teaching people. Um, so you hit, hit a good point about becoming a teacher. I don't think I could ever be like a true teacher. Um, I think I could probably do like video teachings or whatever, but <laughs> no, teaching's not my thing. Um, I don't know if I'd be a true teacher in the sense of like nine to five, like at a high school, by no means. <laughs> I'd be the teacher that'd be like, sit down like we'll figure this out but you, i need you to at least pay attention like, yeah, exactly. um i just remember having being a kid in class and what i did to the teachers there's no way that i could endure that as an adult there's just no way i also give those teachers a hell of a, a commencement because mm -hmm. I think they knew and saw those things in us that made us stand out, right? So um, one of my absolute worst teachers, and I say worst, but like hardest teachers, she was, um, you know, my uh, English high school teacher. Everybody hated this woman. I did too. I would, I would question her like, mm. well, if you're telling me to do this, then if this is my opinion, you can't tell me it's wrong, you know, like very stubborn. Um, and, but she also was one of those people that made the biggest impact. I knew she had what, I mean, she really wanted us to understand so that we could get ahead. It wasn't, she was being mean. This is just what it is. You know, she just wanted us to pay attention. And, um, I think she gave us, she did recognize that, you know, in me and I'm sure your teachers and you like, but again, yeah. Do I want to do that? No, <laughs> no, no. And it, it requires everybody. Right. So you know, when I look back at, at the teachers I had, um, my biggest thing was wanting to argue, wanting to debate, right? So if, if someone told me this was this, I wouldn't know why this was that. Show me, show me proof. Don't give me a theory, show me proof. And I think that's why I like cybersecurity so much, because I can find that proof. I, I, if I think there's a vulnerability, I can go out and find it. And it's that confirmation that I needed 
Um, French, you made a good point too. The cybersecurity is just like boxing, right? So you have to have the offensive defensive strategy and, and all that good stuff. Um, so what made you make the decision to go to cyber out of, out of all of the industries, why cybersecurity? And have you thought about maybe going into, I don't know, maybe like supply chain auditing, because that's going to be huge. What happened with SolarWinds was phenomenal for security auditors and, and supply chain auditors, because that opens up a whole nother career path for us. So, it what, does. What, so what made your decision to go into cybersecurity? Um, so I guess the biggest thing for me is that, um, like I said, I had a lot of friends that were doing programming um, and on the security side. One, I just think it's necessary. Um, seeing, working with a lot of small businesses, which I typically have worked with small businesses or startups, um, I, I just saw that the the lack of knowledge in the general public for a business, they're like, I'm not important, they're not gonna hack me kind of thing is, is so huge. Um, and so actually when I worked at the uh, MSP, um, I, uh, David uh, Levine, who was my boss, who's an amazing person. I mean, he was very upfront, like, you know, we were, they were very on top of things. You know, we have to do this because these are, we're protecting all of these people that don't know or don't really have a huge chance. And so, um, like that educational part of getting that out was really, really important to me. I saw the need out there. I also saw how even just talking with people on asset renewals, how little they understood like, oh, well, if you don't pay this, like you lose your website. If you lose your website, you lose your client tell you, you know, like you kind of just have to take baby steps. And um, I just saw this huge need. And I mean, just talking to, you know, just general public, it's just, a, it just baffles my mind. Um, as far as the auditing, I, I thought that originally, I probably should have gone into um, a tax auditing background, because the thing that I love the most about accounting, and again, I kind of got into accounting after um, I just decided I'm not going to stand on my feet at a you know restaurant or whatever. Not that you can't make good money, but again, when I'm 50, not what I want to do. Um, and uh, it's it it's that learning and finding those gaps, right? So that's where I love. Like I kind of strive at, at finding those things and those feedback loops, but um, it also can be very frustrating when no one listens, right? So, I mean, as you know, as a pen tester, you, I, I've heard this over and over again, pen testers go in year after year and it's the same thing they said last year. And so it's uh, it's just frustrating because you're like, I'm trying, I'm trying to help you. How, like, how can I make this easier? So um, yes, I think that's uh, something that might be in my future. I'm still trying to figure out, there are so many options, but there's also, I don't, I don't believe in training or paying for something. I know you're a big guy on the certs, like, well, I don't need another, if it doesn't absolutely apply. Um, and yes, I do believe that being well-rounded is awesome. Um, I'm still in those uh, figuring out moments of like how far I want, like which path am I going in? Um, how is it going going to go with that? So, um, but I love my, my big thing is I do, I love being able to like hunt something down and then say, okay, I found it, how do we fix this? And then how do we go forward? So it doesn't happen again. And that, that would fall right into place with like threat hunting, right? I think that you would be like fantastic at threat hunting. Um, 
some of the stuff that, that I, the reason why I do what I do is because I like for someone to tell me that, oh, well, you know, you can't hurt our network and you can't get into this. You can't get into that because then I spend all my time getting into it. Um, I think my, my last job, um, they touted that they had great, you know, internal security. And then I, I ran a, you know, a couple manual scans and, and there was tons of stuff that was like wide open. Um, so it's kind of a challenge, right? Like I like that challenge. I like someone to tell me that it can't be done. Um, you, you do, you did have some really great uh, coworkers over at um, Attack IQ. They posted something about, well, I posted something about SIGINT and then two of the guys from Attack IQ, I guess ex-military um, commented on it. And I was yeah. like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, we all have like really diverse backgrounds. Um, but what I think is like the most important, right, is, is we have like all these people that, that come into the podcast, right, into the Discord for the Haunted Hacker and, and you know, like I told you before, their their ages from like 11 years old till 60, right? I mean, just complete variety of people. Um, but I think that's what's great about our industry is is you can make a change into this industry. You can make a career change anytime you want. It's not something that oh well, you know, I'm too old, too long, the tooth can't do it. Um, I've seen guys that, that walked out of the Air Force, um, Air Force officers that sat behind a uh, IDS screen as an analyst working underneath me at USGFCOM. And they were, you know, full brass. And, and it's it's amazing to see that the interest that the world has in cybersecurity now, especially after solar winds. But um, I was just thinking about that today, you know, thinking about people, you know, first getting into the industry and, and what would I have done post solar winds if I was getting into the industry um, now? And, you know, working at one of the biggest financial institutions in the US, our supply chain was so massive. Um, and to think about solar winds and, and to think about the fact that, you know, how secure were they during solar winds? I hope that they don't have solar winds because if they did, they probably got hit pretty hard. Um, but I think that that attack taught us a couple things, right? It taught us that no matter what happens in the geopolitical arena and the tensions, the political tensions, um, hackers are still going to be hackers, whether they're the nation state or Trust you know, no just one. Low one. Exactly, exactly. Well, <laughs> see, as a CT in the, in the military doing uh, RF and SIGINT, we had a saying and the, the, the motto was trust no one and monitor everybody else. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the mindset we come from. But I think that um, the supply chain is, is, is important. I think that if anybody's getting into the industry um, has asset management background, has some sort of, you know, handle on cybersecurity um, and has the, the ones and zeros, like they deal well with numbers, that supply chain really, that, that career path is going to be huge. Um, I'm sure Absolutely. that, I'm sure SolarWinds is probably kicking themselves right now, but um, anyways. Well, and so I, I think you kind of uh, mentioned something earlier about, you know, like the educational and like the well-roundedness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think um, that's one of the things a lot of people um, worldwide, um, we don't have it quite as much anymore for some reason. And I don't, you know, we're talking about the blinders. It's like, this is my job. These are my job mm -hmm. duties. And I've just never been a fan of that. I do believe that some people are better at a certain job and I don't necessarily agree with the educational system um, as it stands in the United States. If someone is terrible at math, you don't like, yes, you need to make them understand math, but you don't need to punish them with math. Exactly. Um, you know, some people will just be, you know, whatever it is, right? Like they're going to kind of go down this, you know, path, which is 
absolutely fine. Um, but we end up now with people that are too nearsighted, right? So mm -hmm. they can't see a little bit outside of their own picture. So they miss things. Um, um, they only see how it affects themselves. Um, and that's where I do try, I think accounting did really help with that because I did have to know the whole picture to make sure like I, you know, we're not missing something um, either on billing or making sure even a customer like, hey, why is there, you know, Azure cloud so low this month? If it was high, like, did somebody go in and do something? Is something not working properly? I mean, even to that extent. Um, and I don't think a lot of people have that capability uh, to kind of see outside of their immediate, like you said, like their blinder zone. So it sounds like um, sort, sort of like a uh, forensics accounting type function when you're going through and looking like at the Azure accounts and, and trying to figure out the differences and the, the deltas between what should be there and what's there. Um, so would you consider yourself like right, absolutely. blue, red or purple? If you're to, if you were to take a stance as a tester, what would you, what would you do? I would none. <laughs> I would, I would say I would like, I actually do think like threat hunting, um, would be kind of uh, my, th I, I think I would really enjoy that side of things. Um, I like, like you said, kind of being challenged um, and then being able to look, I can look at, I understand coding to a certain extent, right? Like I can see anomalies pretty easily um, over the, the course of things, but uh, I'm not in any of those categories yet. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm very, very new um, and it is, it's, it's very interesting. Um, my role with Attack IQ uh, was really more in the like sales, but kind of more of, uh, you know, information, just trying to get the name and, and, and like be able to educate people. Right. So um, I wanted because what they are doing, what there is a great need for it. I do really love the product. Um, the people that I apply to, like I'm looking at now, I mean, I look at their background. I want to like I on all of my cover letters and I like I believe I want to believe in wherever I go mm. and I have this and I'm it, it's yes it's idealistic and it's nothing's perfect I get that but at least if I believe in a product I know that I can go in there with a, the, the right mindset mm. I mean I'd rather be unemployed and I hate to say that but I'd rather be unemployed and working on my own thing than working a product that I don't believe in and exactly and, um, and nothing things perfect but uh having that that baseline of you know not having blinders on going into something but believing in it knowing that there's a um there's something out there that um there's a an end goal that makes sense you know i mean there's some things that don't make sense and but it's it may sell it doesn't matter like to me it doesn't matter if it's not if the um the goal of the company isn't, doesn't kind of like have any significant. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't speak right now. Uh, but you know, like, uh, you know, balance between what I believe in and what they're doing. Yeah. To, to me, it's really important to find a company that I believe in what they do. Um, I can honestly tell you that probably about 90% of the companies that I worked for um, didn't have that, that attribute, right? Um, so that's why they didn't last very long, but I did have one really cool, um, uh, mentor that worked at Verizon and he's going to be on the show next month, Jim McConnell. And he was the one who built the, um, uh, GSOC, the global, the global SOC for Verizon, um, really great guy. And people like him and, and, and companies like, 
you know, Verizon and some of the startups I've worked for, um, they're people, they're, they're, they're people, people, right? So Jim didn't look at me as, you know, analysts. He looked at me as Mike Jones. Um, and I think we've gotten away from a lot of that, to be honest with you, in the industry. I think the um, pandemic, uh, with the different breaches that have occurred, we've lost track and lost touch of the human element of it. And it's become, you know, so disparate. And part of this pandemic, too, we all work remotely and, and kind of isolated. Um, but I haven't seen a whole lot of companies making headway on making that a comfortable situation, making those people that work at home not feel like they work on an island. Uh, and that's kind of it's kind of why we started this podcast was just to kind of like get information out and give people that, that central area where they could go and, and learn and not feel pressure at work. And, and you have all of the training materials you need and all that stuff. Because um, I think it's really important. And to get people heading down the right path in security, I think is important too, because there's nothing worse than seeing someone who's been in the industry for 20 something years. And when you talk to them and they wish they had gone into a different position after 20 years, to me, that's just bonkers. Like I, I couldn't imagine doing anything for 20 years that I didn't absolutely love. Like my track record with, with time spans is not very good. So, <laughs> um, and this is one of those things, right? So the podcast I really enjoy and, and I'll be here till the end. Um, but as far as the industry goes, right, let's look at the U.S. cybersecurity industry as opposed to like the U.K. Um, because I, I know from being over in the U.K., some of the companies that I saw over there uh, were fantastic. Like I, I don't before I went over to, to the U.K. the very first time, people told me, oh, you know, the people in the U.K. are very cold. Uh, it's a very gloomy place. Um, it's just not not great. And I get over there and I thought which UK were they talking about? Because this is fantastic. Um, people were excited about cybersecurity and, and people were involved and there was conferences everywhere. And I get back to the States and it's like, what I tell people in the UK is that the States is so oversaturated. The cybersecurity industry is so oversaturated with people who think they're subject matter experts, which you'll never hear me say I'm an SME. Um, and then you have other people who just do it for, for a paycheck. There's no passion in it. Um, so I don't know if you've encountered any of that, but I, I've definitely seen it since I've gotten back to the States. Um, there, there's not a lot of passion as far as people's careers and industry go here. Well, I think, uh, I think you're correct. I think, uh, in a lot of other countries, uh, I see initiatives being taken on, uh, by the government with a lot more veracity than I do here in the United States. Um, I do see with, the United States, I do tend to see people that they're like, I'm doing this to get into it for the money. Um, it's how, well, I can't get money. Well, but again, we also have this mentality, you graduate you know, college, you jump in, like these kids are getting out and they're like, I want $85,000 a year. Cause I have, well, that's just not life. And like somebody should have told them like this, you have to earn it, you know? Um, I changed careers. I, I'm at the bottom again. I'm not, you know, like I get it, but I arranged my life to make sure that that was part of how I could progress without having to get out of what I'm doing now in order to um, progress forward. I knew I wasn't going to start off at 100K, you know, like, but it, it's not about the money. Again, I'm, it's not about, I mean, it is and it's not, right? Like, I want to be able to live a nice life. I want to be able to, but I want to, again, believe in what I do. Um, and I don't think we have a lot of people that 
they're not taught that they're like, we get out of college. We, I mean, how many people, and this is one thing that does drive me crazy about like the job search, how many people have a degree in what they originally had? Not many. And, you know, but yet it's required to be in this particular field. Um, and the thing is like, have a, a common sense test of like, this is what we do. Can you figure out this common sense stuff? You know, but you know, yes. Okay. I understand that college is, is wonderful for making sure that you, you know, can follow through in projects and different things. Um, but again, it's, I do, I see that as a very, it's our, our government isn't as proactive as it, I think it should be um, on a lot of levels when it comes to these things. They're, they're very proactive when it comes to prosecution and cyber law, but as far as like building programs and, and teaching the youth and, and getting cyber in all the primary schools, um, I think we failed. Big one. Hardcore. Yeah, big zero on that one. I, I mean, if, if, I, if I could have someone do something uh, as like, I mean, it should, it should be in grade school. I mean, toddlers are on tablets and iPhones and, you know, they're, it, it's insane. And yet it is not, it is, it's, yes, I don't know why that's not a thing. Like, I can't get it. Um, but again, I think our educational system in general, and I mean, even in other, like, it's not just the U.S., I get that. I mean, but we just really need to have some people just really kind of get down to brass tacks and say, okay, this is starting at elementary school, right. at pre-K. How do we get this more? Like we should have lessons in cybersecurity starting that young. Okay. Um, yeah, I, it's it's one of those things that has kind of yeah, it, crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it cracks me up because they'll, they'll dump money into different, different areas of the government, but then when it comes to cyber, um, I think they just put together an initiative uh, within the past couple of weeks um, to bolster the infrastructure, right? To, to like harden the infrastructure because of solar winds. Um, but here's the thing is that if you would take that money and invest it in training and getting the right people in the right places, that breach probably would not have occurred. Um, but the problem is, is that when you have people that are so spread thin, and they're making that $60,000 a year, you know, it's tough for them. Um, especially the, the, the U.S. mentality, the, the capitalist mentality of going out and, and being consumers is very difficult. One, for the pandemic, and two, if, if your, your company is paying you peanuts to carry out, you know, the defense of their infrastructure, which I think is absurd. Um, but anyways, yeah, like, so it, I know this. It is very mind-boggling. It is. It is. And the UK um, definitely has that, that program to, to help teach kids and gives them competitions. Um, they have a, a thing called the Matrix Challenge where basically it's a CTF. Um, I haven't seen anything of that level put on by the government other than Hack the Pentagon. And to be honest with you, like I've had friends who've been involved in Hack the Pentagon and I had one that was actually threatened by the military because he had gone outside of scope and found like a million vulnerabilities. Um, it, it was, it was insane. Uh, but to me, that whole hack the Pentagon thing is more of, Hey, why don't you check our workforce instead of, you know, actually trying to, you know, invigorate the community and, and get things moving and building things. It's, it's more of a, Hey, can you check and make sure that we don't have any vulnerabilities because we don't want to pay an outside group to come in and do it. Um, so they're getting something for free. Yeah. And that, that seems to be a lot I of think, companies. Uh, I think the, 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 
Yeah, the mindset of companies um, is have a big sales team, have a big marketing team. Um, and of course, you have to make money, but you have people that are in a field that not everyone wants to be in necessarily and can be in, um, and that's okay. But the people that want to be there, they can't get in because you have a huge corporation with three pen testers and you know, but you spent millions of dollars on these tools that you're not using. So how do you break that mentality? How do we, how do we, and that's another one I know that's always talked about is how do you get upper management to see the importance? Um, I, I mentioned to you in the chat earlier, you know, I, I'm starting on a, a side project uh, for um, something in retail. Um, and it's been kind of a on my mind for a while, but with the um, current situation, it's perfect timing, right? Take, take um, every moment you have and make use of it. So, um, and so like, I don't understand if I'm going to build this, I'm going to start off with the right security tools from the beginning, even if it's as small as a VPN and some encryption. I mean, there's no, to me, and I know this is, it's not an easy answer, but there, to me, there's no reason you can't do something right from the beginning. But people tend to go, okay, we're going to just throw money at it and we're not going to worry about that until it's a problem. We're not going to pay the fine until we have we get hit. Um, but kind of going back to our government, and yes, we're good at, you know, penalizing and catching people. But you, you said Fin7, they got, what, 10 years? Yeah. So you're telling me somebody who like is a heroin dealer or a murderer gets life, but these people affected how many people stole their lives, took their money. You know, this is not, this shouldn't, 10 years is a slap on the wrist for this. Like this is, that's nothing. Like how this is not teaching. This is teaching people to, in my, in what I see is that, you, you get more trouble and I'm not saying like go deal heroin by any means, but like if somebody's buying heroin, they're doing it because they want it and somebody is selling it because there's a supply and demand. Right. So again, I obviously supply and demand on the unwanting users credentials and their bank accounts and do it, but that person who's buying it wanted it. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that's kind of where it ends. Yes, it affects their family and whatever, but this is affecting 350 million people and they get 10 years. Yeah. So I just don't understand like the correlation between the punishment. And so, yeah, I mean, the guy's going to lose 10 years, but yeah. how, what, what if uh, somebody who lost their entire life savings? I mean, yeah. it doesn't just apply to cybersecurity, you know, like all these other, you know, people that have stolen people's monies. Yeah, the, the punishment and the law is something that I've been tangling with for probably about three years now. Um, looking at some of the uh, sentences were handed down. Um, like, let, let's take one of my friends, um, Francis. He got, I think it was six years for compromising a school computer. Um, he was in prison with a guy that got two years for manslaughter. So you, you have a kid, you know, a young kid who hacked into a school system and got six years and you have someone who killed somebody and got two years, you know, it, the, the way that they, the way that they sum up sentencing and punishment for cyber crime, first of all, I, I think is unethical because it's, it's a global crime. It's not just a Texas, Virginia, Boston crime. It's, it's, and it, and it, it's a federal, uh, federal crime, but it's also a global crime, right? So 
in the military, when we have someone that we bring in to prosecute, right, from, from you know, an, an adversarial, um, adversarial role, when they come in, um, we're sentencing them in a, in a military tribunal, right? So that's like a pretty much a, a higher court. And I think with hacking, it needs to be a global court, right? We have Interpol. There's no reason why we can't have Interpol cyber and go that route um, to make it equal across the board. Because what, what hackers do is they'll look at the countries that have extradition, as well as the countries that have a history of really bad prosecution for cybercrime. And they'll pick those countries to, to launch from or to be in. And it kind of kills the whole idea of let's prosecute. Like right now, if you look at the FBI's most wanted list, you're going to see most of APT1 and most of APT28, both China and Russia. And those people on that list will never be apprehended, never. Um, and we spend our money and the, the Department of Justice spends our money chasing those people and putting up that, taking the time and putting it up on the website, knowing that, first of all, none of us know who they are, nor do we care. And they probably will never be apprehended anyways. It's, it's a political move. Um, so there's a lot of shenanigans that goes on with, with the government, cybersecurity, and, and really just everything from, from A to Z. Um, we were talking the last episode, I believe it was, about um, the power grid. And it's funny when you talked about, um, you know, starting things from the very beginning and doing it right. Um, one thing that I saw with solar winds and, and not only solar winds, but with the hack in Florida and with the power grid is that we're looking at technology that was built and deployed infrastructure built way before the internet existed. And so now we're all kind of screwed because those systems were not meant to interface with the internet very well. And we're seeing the, the results of that Absolutely. now. And really to, 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 to secure the power grid, they would literally have to yank out all of the infrastructure and start over again. And so there's separate, like little separate disparate um, grids, but Texas is one of the biggest ones. Um, and working in electric, electric there, it was easy to see that they built that system and that infrastructure on what they had at that time. Problem is, is when that, that's built and it works, as long as it works, nobody cares. So time progressed, right. technology <laughs> progressed, and everybody is still looking ahead going, well, our shit still works. Yeah, but now look at the situation we're at now. Um, and I think globally, that's, yeah. that's where, we're all, where we're all at. Because we have, a, as humans, we have an issue of not looking forward and looking at right now. It seems like the, the generations, you know, below, not below, but, but the younger generations now, um, that instant gratification, that $80,000 salary straight out of high school is going to haunt everything we do in cybersecurity because that same mentality they're going to bring in to cybersecurity and that infrastructure that needs to be revamped. If it doesn't, if it doesn't give them a payoff immediately, they probably won't jump into it. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles. Um, one question Ryan had for you was when you decided to get into cybersecurity, um, was there a confidence, a confidence issue? Like you starting off from the bottom again and, and trying to, you know, and visualize, your road to the top was that very difficult to to get into a new industry and you know from from scratch um absolutely um i do have 
Um, I, I do have family in uh, cybersecurity, but at the same time, I just would go to the conferences, uh, walk around and check out the vendors and see if I liked, you know, who I liked, what I liked and where they were located and just try to find out more. So in a way, um, as far as, yeah, I, I, of course it's scary. You know, you're trying something new every time you change a job, of course it's scary, but that also for me is kind of invigorating. Um, I really like that. Like you kind of mentioned the challenge of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and as far as the confidence, I knew that if I, if I'm given a chance, I can learn it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of that. So it's, it's more of the fact of how, um, getting into it, right? Like having to profess, you know, this is who I am in interviews over and over. It's, it's it, that's more of like, ah, like I got to do this again. Um, but it's, it's not, um, it is, it's very scary. And, you know, as far as confidence goes, but um, I can't let the confidence, cause I know that if I'm, if I'm given a chance, if somebody shows me something that I can usually pick it up pretty well. Um, and knowing that about myself, I, I don't lose that confidence because it's just something that is part of me. Um, it's that, it is that challenge. Right. So, um, and I want to do well at those things. Um, COVID's definitely been probably the worst year for me, uh, this past couple of years, um, and things didn't work out right. But, and yeah, that drops my confidence a, a ton, but at the same time, sometimes it's okay to take a step back and you just have to go move forward. And Ryan has been one of the best like supporters. Um, him and Fee, just like I absolutely cannot say enough about him. I I want to see him, you know, just you know flourish as well as everybody else uh, in my in my group. And uh, I do want to build an empire. He just kind of brought that up, but like, yeah, I do want to build an empire. And it, it, it's not. Uh, it's instead of it being like an empire in a, in a pyramid, I want it to just be all of us together, teach, helping and kind of like what you're doing with this podcast is helping each other, giving each other resources. Um, you know, uh, Jerry Azure from Simply Cyber has been amazing. Uh, the work that he does, he, I, I just, um, I love his mindset. And I, and that's one of the reasons that I love cybersecurity really it's the people in it that are mm-hmm. in it really believe that there's, there can be something better, right? That we can try to help each other, build each other up. Um, of course you have, you'll always have an in the industry, people that have been in the same position for a million years and they just, things won't change until they, they're forced. But um, so as, as much as I say, like we have the 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 people that are coming in with blinders and they see the 80 like i need 80,000 and above to start and then it's oh like that's not my my job set like of course but for as many as of those that there is there's just there's i would say not not quite half but like probably you know just as many not not really but like ryan's out there right like mm-hmm. people coming in and just trying to do everything they can to kind of figure it out and make this world a little bit safer. Yeah, and it's, and it's really good. I mean, I, I really like that you point out, you know, what we're doing with the podcast because that that really is what we're doing as far as, you know, giving a place for people to land and, and to, to see the, the industry from the outside in uh, before they make that jump. And then once they make that jump, they know they have all of us to, to back them up. Um, but you're right, you know, it, it, and things like the podcast and things like, you know, 
people who are, who are willing to help and pull you into the industry, they're always there and they're always supportive. But you, you hit on something that, that, that made a lot of sense was the fact that not everybody wants to see you succeed and they'll make things difficult. And unfortunately, there are people in our industry that do that. Um, I've had to experience that firsthand. Uh, but it, it's not about it's not about me. It's not about you know what happened or or the difficult difficulties or hurdles. It's all about pa uh, passion and perseverance, right? So you just don't let those people or those incidents get you down, and you keep moving. Um, and as far as the money goes, one thing I've noticed, one thing I've learned over my umpteen years, is the fact that money comes and goes. Um, I've had some really great salaries and you know i've had some really bad ones um, and i've had no salary uh, a lot of people don't know is that most of my money comes from uh, speaking engagements and and just consulting like not a whole lot of companies will, will take a gamble and hire me full-time um, because of my background and, and you know things that, that occurred in the past but you know just like the industry it's not stagnant you know my career is not stagnant and just because I did something 10 years ago doesn't mean I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Um, but, you know, that's that's the complexities of, of dealing with, with the industry and, and, you know, people who understand, people who don't understand. But, you know, for people coming into the industry and expecting an $80,000 purse, I would say, that, you know, once you do an internship, do it for free. Um, sit there and, and learn the job and, and learn the industry. And if that passion is there, go for that 80 grand, but don't do it. Don't, don't get into the industry simply to make a paycheck. And I know people who do that and I, you know, kudos to them, but I just couldn't do it. I have to, I have to be in the industry and do something that I believe in completely. Um, and that's one thing. That's one reason I've stuck uh, with this group and with, with this podcast. So you said, Ryan, Ryan's a great guy, right? Most optimistic guy I've ever seen. He's hiding right now. Um, but we got, we got attacked and I was ready to just say, you know, screw it. You know, I'm, I'm doing this to help people out and people want to attack what we're, what we're trying to build. Um, but then I realized that, you know, no matter what you do in life, there's always going to be those hurdles. Uh, and the thing is you just don't let them win and, and you continue doing what you believe in. And to me, at the end of the day, if my last day on earth is doing this podcast or doing cybersecurity, then I'm happy because I did it. I left the world doing something I enjoy. And not a whole lot of people can say that about what they do in life. I know that, Absolutely. you know, I've had family members that, that really hated their job and see them go to work every day and, and be frustrated. It's just like, why, why do that? Um, anyway, so 2021 and yeah, getting into I, the industry. I lost both of my parents just on a, oh. Holy cow, really? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think we had some lag. Yeah. So what the, the reason I was bringing that up is that both of them passed uh, relatively early um, and wow. they both, my father did have a job that he, he loved, but um, what he wanted more than a job that he loved was a retirement that he could enjoy. Right. Um, and by that time, my mother had started getting sick. He passed earlier than she did. But um, the reason I kind of am the way I am is uh, I don't, care my money can't go with me and right. i you know if i have money i'm donating it when i leave you know it's not i money can't bring happiness and i've right. i've had a lot of ups and downs but watching my parents go through not being able to enjoy 
waiting till that last, oh, I'm going to get to this retirement. Not everybody makes it like, like they say, tomorrow's not promised. And yeah. you've got to be, you know, like the ups and downs will come. And if I, if I am not the right fit, that's fine. If I, if I don't do, if, if it's not working for either of us, I don't want to be there. Like I want to be, I want to make an impact. I want to be a better person. If it, right. and if it's, and if it's not working for either of us, like why, why are we doing this? Right. So, and I get that. And, um, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me. I mean, of course it hurts a little bit, you know, to, to not have a certain, you know, path at certain times or whatever, you know, as, as life is, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, like you said, 10 years, 20 years ago, like, Hey, I did something. So I learned from that. You can yeah. tell I learned from it. And if you want somebody who has no experience or any life, then that's fine. That's your choice. <laughs> or, um, you know, it's, you know, but tomorrow's not promised and we've got to go. Like, I want to do this because I want to be happy. I want to help people. Like that's, point blank. That's what it comes down to. So, and it doesn't matter. And I hate to say that if it's not, even if it's not cybersecurity in the end, I'm going to be doing something that brings people together that helps people. Um, and I want it to like, I will never leave the cybersecurity community, even if I do nothing except for connect other people that, you know, to make them have a better life. Yeah. That, I mean, that's key. And, and that's, that's where the podcast is at. Like I don't get paid anything for the podcast. This is just something I do because I enjoy it. Um, and I, I, I like helping people. I like giving people a place to, to congregate and kind of share ideas and it's free. You know, I, I don't agree with some of the, like early on, I, I had thought about, you know, doing a paper like subscription. Um, but yeah, like talk to the guests and stuff like that. And it was just, it was not feasible because we want to give back what we received. And that's kind of what we do now. Um, so ideally in a year from now, where do you see yourself? Um, ideally I will have my retail business up on the side, making me some, you know, money uh, so that I don't have to uh, worry as, as much, but um and in that, trying to help people as well. Um, I also have another side project that is uh, also kind of in that same space, but it's uh, trying to connect people and kind of build a better, a better way of doing things um, going forward. Um, as far as on the cybersecurity side, I'm just going to keep trying to get some certs under my, you know, under my belt. And um, the thing now is to kind of try to narrow it down right to a specific type of field um, I, I do like the auditing side of things um, I am I am a people person and that's one thing that like I think accounting didn't hold for me um, and I if I don't know I, I'm not really sure but I really do I just want to be able to help uh, bring people together in the best way and help with the educational side of things um, at the very least um, but we'll see what a year um, you know looking forward there's so many options and, and possibilities um I, and I hate trying to limit myself yeah. by saying but at the same time it's always good to have a goal right so right. you have to have a goal but um you know i have looked into like threat hunting and, and things like that um and i think that i'd probably be pretty pretty damn well there's a it, but um you know baby steps right so i don't like to get ahead of myself there, there's there's a company that you should probably take a look at 
as far as threat hunting goes. Um, and the only reason why I, I, I mentioned them is because I'm friends with uh, a lady who is uh, management over there. It's called CrowdStrike. And they do a lot of threat hunting, a whole lot. So you may oh, want yeah. to take a look at that and, and see what they have going on. Um, unbeknownst to you, like this podcast can serve as an as a interview for a job as well. So once this goes up online, um, you'll have a uh, foot in the door with a lot of companies and, and they can look at this and, and serve this as your interview for the, the job. Um, so let's open this up to it. Ryan says he's never heard of CrowdStrike. Dude, are you living under a rock? Um, CrowdStrike is, is, I hope you're joking. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to open up the floor to questions for Kim. Oh, Ryan, always with the jokes. Mm-hmm. The it's Wookie. That guy. <laughs> yeah. It's the uh, resident Wookie. Um, so if anybody has questions for Kim, go ahead and put it in the chat. Oh. Um, and Kim, if you have any questions for me or Ryan, go ahead and shoot. I'm trying not to hit this. I have a bad habit of hitting this mic, but this mic totally, um, RIP earlier before the podcast. So I'm just hoping it hangs on. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it completely fell apart. Like during the, the pre-podcast, the, the microphone actually fell off. Um, but we're working on a little technical difficulties. It's one of the things that you deal with when you have a free podcast. Um, so anyways, uh, Ryan, anybody, do you have any questions for us, Kim? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, their experiences on the, um, on when they got in, um, I know quite a bit of people, like I said, um, that I personally know tended to get in after the military. So they had kind of a foot in the door, um, having that background you know, in the, in the back, but if, uh, anybody's had any like interesting stories from, you know, their first times or first couple jobs of how things went and, you know, was it, what was it that made you leave that kind of company? Was it, you know, the atmosphere, was it like lack of education, trying to get better? Um, any, any kind of stories like that, especially towards the beginning of their career, like what impressed them, what drove them away from that? I was, Okay, I'll, I'll field the question first of all. Um, I was really like surprised about the lack of knowledge in the space with some of the companies uh, when I first got into the industry. And I'd go interview with, with HR and I'd interview with the CISO. And there's such, in a lot of companies I interviewed with, there was such a knowledge gap between the analyst level and the CISO. And from my point, from, from my very beginning of, of my career in the industry, I always told myself that when I get to be a CISO, I'm not going to be that CISO who knows things from 30 years ago. I, I want to be on top of everything. I want to keep my hands in the tech and keep moving. Um, I actually had a, a CISO that I worked for, and this is going to crack, crack you up. I had a CISO that I worked for and he was on the phone with a potential client and told the client that he had been doing cybersecurity for over 30 years on a commercial level. And I had to stop and think about it. He was on the phone. He was down the table from me in the sock. And I sat there and I thought about it. And at the time, I, I put the numbers together and I thought, 30 years. Okay, yeah, that was way before BBS time. DARPA probably hadn't even released the internet yet. Um, so it, it just caught me off guard. 
but you run into a lot of those guys that, that once they leave the, the tech trenches and they get into middle management, it's like they leave all that tech behind and they leave that passion for that tech behind. And I think that's where we fail as an entry for a lot of companies. And that's why they get breaches because the people who make the decisions really aren't that technical anymore. And they have a whole team that they rely on, but how many of those CISOs actually listen to their team instead of making their own decisions? And I, I think that's, that, that's probably another mm-hmm. downfall that we'll probably address in, later on in a different podcast. But I see that I saw it a lot when I came into the industry as, as a rookie was the, the knowledge gap between management and the techs. And that just can't be good for any kind of organization. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? I don't know if you're- I think, I think okay. that- Go ahead. I was just gonna say that goes back to, I saw kind of uh, what Ryan mentioned about like the, the gaps and you know how, how many enterprises don't wanna take the money to actually do things. And um, yeah, it's hard to see, like it's hard to talk to people and they're all their concern, the return on investment. And I get it, I did accounting. But that like, if you lose your, your faith in your customers and granted, yes, most people can come back from it, you know, Home Depot years ago and all these big companies, you know, day after day, um, people have just kind of accepted it um, to a certain extent. However, um, how much is that return on investment for people like after they get reached, they're like, hey, we're going to give you a free year of this security (laughs) monitoring service for the next year for free for 350 million people, you know, like, Um, how much does your insurance liability go up? I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into account. Like, yeah, the return on investment is, you know, trust. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be able to trust who I bank with isn't going to lose my stuff. Of course, I know things will happen if this is, you know, it's a never ending saga, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, uh, the return on investment has always been a big battle. Um, especially when it comes to looking at budget for cybersecurity within a company and trying to get like tools and stuff, um, return investment is huge. Uh, but one thing I try to explain to people too, when they're talking about return investment mm-hmm. and their budget is the fact that, you know, yeah, there's no, there's no big ROI when it comes to security tools, but get breached and tell me how much that return on investment would have saved you. Um, so, I mean, there, there's, there's all kinds of things that go into the cybersecurity, I guess, conundrum. Uh, when it comes to, you know, what should happen, what's actually happening. Um, Damo is wanting to ask a question. Damo, ask the question, put it in text in the chat. Um, so, yeah, like another, another thing you might want to look at, too, is that, you know, um, I love social engineering. And inherently, females are the best when it comes to social engineering. I don't, I don't know why. I haven't really studied that. But if you take two or three pen testers and you take a couple of pen testers that have had various positions outside of security, brand new, uh, male or female, it doesn't really matter. Um, but the funny thing is, like, if you walk into a business and try to approach an IT group as a pen tester, and more than likely, you'll get the password long before I'll get the password. But that's just how the industry is. Um, and, you know, social engineering is a, is a huge part of what we do. It makes a lot of money. Um, and also the weakest point in any situation is usually the human factor. Um, so we have a couple of people online that, that really focus on that in the group. Um, Kristen, she's not online tonight, but she, she focuses a lot on social engineering as well as a couple of people. Um, 
but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's one route to go within pen testing without having to actually get into the actual like huge ones and zeros um, and do that deep dive into tech. Uh, right. Yeah. I, I joke, I should be like the physical pen tester because on multiple occasions on different things, I'm just like, well, I guess their physical security is not up to par and they're like security events. And I'm just like, well, I should probably yeah. go into this field because it's not too hard or, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite interesting to kind of see people think, uh, there's, yeah, the, the physical aspect, I actually got brunch from a, a, a girlfriend of mine that had moved to San Diego with military and she had just gone in mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> she was like, well, you can't get on base. And I was like, well, will you buy me brunch if I can get on base? And I was like, you mean I can't park on base and wait for you to walk up? She's like, no, you have like, they'll tell you where to park. So I did. And she bought me lunch. And so, <laughs> and she's like, I don't know how you did that. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, it just happened. Like, <laughs> so, and, um, and uh, yeah, it was just one of those things, but and it's, and it's not a sexist thing, right? Like I know some people are probably like cringing right now going, oh my God, he's mentioning females and pen testing and, and how they're good at social engineering. But to be honest with you, when you look at the numbers, it's, it's factual. Um, <laughs> when you walk up to an IT manager, uh, you know, an average IT manager, and if I walk up to him and ask for, you know, an IP address or a password, he'll pass me over and give it to somebody else really quick. Um, you know, it's all about, you know, conversation and, and being able to uh, appeal to people. And, and I just, you know, social engineering has always been one of those things that is a key to, to any kingdom. Um, let's see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think. Uh, oh, I, no, I was just agreeing with you. It's um, I mean, women in general, uh, you know, historically and, you know, through evolution, we've, we've had a lot of different roles, right? So Mm -hmm. men, you know, their, their brains just kind of function a little bit different. And um, I think it was on one of your uh, podcasts. I was trying to think if it was with Colin or somebody, Um, but, you know, you're talking about how, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good or versus bad. It's, we need both. And I, I just, I don't understand, you know, like, if my, and it doesn't matter if, I mean, I am an amazing cleaner. I love organization. I love cleaning. That's also why I like accounting and, and things like that. Like auditing would be, you know, that's why I do like things like that because I like bringing order to things and being able to see the end result. Right. Um, but one of the things is that just because I'm good at it, there's other things I'm not. So that's where, I mean, we have to learn to complement each other instead of tear each other down. It's not yeah. a he versus she, or, you know, it's how, how can we make my, my positive and your positives work together so that we have a stronger team? Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things I wanted to, to mention too, is, you know, when I say that you need male and female on any pen test team or any cybersecurity team, um, you know, I know that sounds really sexist and, and, and just really bad, but, you know, over the past 20 years and looking at and, and sitting next to guys and sitting next to females, uh, pen testing and doing cybersecurity, I've realized one thing, and that's men are very, are, are very ones and zeros, very data driven and females are more, let's look at the whole picture and let's take a step back. And before there were a lot of women in the industry and it was just us men we were making some really piss poor decisions because we didn't have that other let's step back and take a look and, and look at the bigger picture 
mentality. Um, so yeah, and I think, especially in the US, we've gotten so politically correct that it, it, you can't say anything without some group or, or some state or some person being offended. And I've gotten to the point where I speak the way I wanna speak and if they take offense to it, I apologize, but it is who I am. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pull punches. Um, and Ryan says that offends him. Well, Ryan, I hate to tell you, but oh well. <laughs> I'll send you some scissors so you can cut your hair and, and cry like the rest of them. Um, no, but, but seriously, the, <laughs> seriously, the uh, the the whole the whole idea of uh, people not embracing the fact that that it's a, a female and male driven industry instead of just a male driven industry, I think that needs to take place. Um, I know one CEO from uh, the UK and she is absolutely amazing and works for Sapphire where she, she runs Sapphire and uh, she's probably one of the sharpest. Um, just leave the beard out of it. Yeah. Um, anyways, so anybody else have any questions for Kim? Cause I could ramble all night long. Sausage fest. Yeah. I don't know that these comments are cracking me up. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I, I wish that I wish that I could take the comments and add them to the actual video for the podcast when we upload it and play it to the rest right. of the internet. Um, <laughs> it's some pretty funny conversation that goes on. Uh, but that's one thing I like about this group too, is that I think that's know, also why I love that this this field is yeah. because everybody is so honest. I mean, like I, I know, like, I, I respect everyone's, you know, opinions. If you want me to call you something, that's fine. But you have to understand that maybe it's just not going to pop out the first time. But, you know, it's about respect. I'm, I'm totally down to respect anybody. But at the same time, like, I can't not laugh at this stuff. <laughs> like, it's, it's just not. I mean, we've got to have fun, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's see. Pentesting Miles Penny is the same as the rest of the industry. Diversity PT needs people that can help adapt to any scenario that requires all types. So Steve, the reason, okay. So when you look at pen testing, right. And red teaming, a lot of that function originated from the infrastructure and the structure of the military. That's where we came up with red teaming. That that's, that's the type of structure. Um, and then when you look at commercial, so building that diversity into that group can be difficult um, because those groups move so fast as far as people coming in and coming out. Um, and it's a very, you and I both know, Steve, that, that pen testing is kind of like a, I guess it's a high stress situation because you're, you're given a limited amount of time, a limited window with little amount of knowledge to, to grab everything you can. Um, so yeah, it takes a little bit. Uh, PT needs people that can help adapt to any scenario. And the reason why um, that's true and the way that I look at it, you know, being that pen testing is kind of orchestrated from military structure, that adversity and be able to think on the move is something that they train us for in the military is, is thinking quick and, and, and making decisions. Not always the right decisions, but, but we make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you. Well, and we, I, I think, uh, well, and it can be said too, though, like not making decisions is just, as, I mean, that's tends to happen with these. It's just as bad. The corporations, I don't know about this. We'll wait and see about this. And next mm -hmm. thing you're like, why didn't we buy that? Well, we tried to tell you like, exactly. so not making a decision is just as bad. Exactly. Um, so. And, and we're seeing that, I think <laughs> not only in cybersecurity, but politics too. Like the U S is, is suffering horribly from, 
a lack of making a decision. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I, tend to, I tend to bag a lot on the US and it, the only reason why is because I've been to other countries and I've lived in other countries. And when I came back here in October, this place is a disaster. Like I, I, I have no idea what this country has been thinking for the past two years. I get back, I've been gone for two years, I get back and it's a completely different world. Like I'm just shocked. Yeah, it's, it's justified though. It's, it's very justified. Um, you and I both know the shit posture that this country is in, and yeah, it, it's it, it kills me because I've so many situations where they throw money, like we've talked about, they throw money at appliances and all of these like voodoo rituals that are bullshit and not good sound practices. They won't listen to the people that know. And it's like, oh, well, this this little shiny thing here, uh, this, this is what we need. Uh, yeah, no, bro, no. So, that's not what you need. Uh, so you need so let, let me tell you, you a story about listen. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you a story about shiny little boxes. And this will put things into perspective. So I was working for a large financial. Yes, 100%. In, I was working for a, a large financial in the U.S. And I had a company called Lockheed Martin come in. Uh, duty contractor, government contractor, financial institution, you know, they own pretty much everything. Uh, they come in, they tell me, you're having a problem with APTs. We have a solution for you. This is called the APT in a box. If you put this box in your network, it will stop any APT attack. And I took a step back and I said, okay, well, what's in the box? Well, we can't tell you that because it's proprietary. And I said, well, guess what? Your shit's not going on my network because it's proprietary. So let's talk about what's under the hood. And I said, you know, last time I checked, when people compromise a network, they don't look for a device and say, oh yeah, check it in, we're an APT, you know, direct us to the box we need to go to. Because that's basically what they were, you know, advertising was that you put our box in line in your network and we'll stop every APT attack in your network. And I showed them the front door and that was it. And my boss was like, you're not gonna listen to him? I said, dude, a box is gonna, 